Welcome to Hockey Night in New York, where Islanders hockey is always top shelf. Whether you got your start as a dynasty veteran, a Millbury survivor, or you were born into the Church of Trots, Hockey Night in New York is your home for all things Isles. Now, here are your eclectic hosts, Sean Cuthbert and Christian Arnold. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Hockey Night in New York. Welcome to the program, everyone. It is Sunday, January 23rd, 2022. Coming at you live from the Hockey Night New York studios on Long Island. Another stupendous, fantastic, marvelous show coming up for you tonight. Greg Wyshynski of ESPN will be joining us. My name is John Cuthbert. With me, as always, is Mr. Christian Arnold. Christian, how are you? I'm doing well, Shoney. How's it going, bud? It's going all right, man. Yeah. Going all right. Yeah, you know. Islanders getting into a groove now, playing more than just two games. Right, it's always nice. And it looks like they finally have a regular schedule going on, so happy days. And they did all right, and we're going to talk about it. Well, they beat bad teams, and then they lost to the team that they needed to beat, so. Did they do all right? Like I said, they did all right. So, folks, I want to thank you for tuning in on this fine Sunday night here at Twitch.tv slash Hockey Night NY. And, of course... Want to remind you that we are happy to be presented by R.J. Daniels American Bar and Grill, located at 279A Sunrise Highway in Rockville Center. It's the best place to catch the aisles when you can't be at the game. Head down for great food and drink specials, plenty of HDTVs, and in-game sound. Also happy to be sponsored by Blue Line Deli and Bagels, located at 719 West Jericho Turnpike in Huntington, 217 Carlton Avenue in East Islip, and UBS Arena at Belmont. They're an official partner of the New York Islanders. Check out the menu at bluelinedeli.com for all their great offerings. Also happy to be sponsored by Thai Technology, a voice over IP company providing phone services for businesses across the country. If you're tired of dealing with long hold times and the impersonal service of companies like Spectrum, Optum, and Verizon, give Thai Technology a call at 516-856-7800 for three free months of service. And of course, happy to be sponsored by Oyster Bay Brewing Company, creator of the Barn Rocker Session Ale, available at 12 locations at the Islanders' brand new home in UBS Arena, and even more distributors across the country from coast to coast. You can also visit the taproom at 36 Audrey Avenue in Oyster Bay seven days a week to sample all their fantastic beverages. And remember, get your questions in in the chat for our segment, Questions Brewing, later on. So, Christian. Yes, that's me. Just talking about the Islanders week that they had. Four well, games, yeah. three and one, back to NHL 500. They beat the teams they're supposed to beat, lost to a team that they're going to need to beat, going down the type of team that they're going to need to beat if they want to get back into the playoff mix. What do you say, C.A.? Well, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start off by acknowledging the the sad passing of of and surprising passing of Clark Gillies, Islanders legend, and of course, um, not only a great uh, hockey player, one of one of the greats in the league, and and I think you saw that from just the number of people that chimed in on social media yeah. um, in the last couple of days since the news was announced on Friday night after the Islanders win, um, but also the person that he was as far as just embracing the Long Island community. Um, you know, he was a guy that was as big a part of the Islanders now as much as he was back in the heyday in the 1980s. I mean, Clark Gillies was at just about every event promoting just about everything yeah. that he could for the Islanders Absolutely. in the last, uh, especially the last couple of years between the Islanders trip, you know, tri- trips to Barclays Center to the Islanders return to Nassau Coliseum. And of course the, the building of, of uh, UBS arena. Um, he was there when they retired to and Butch Goring's number, um, you know, he's a Long Island guy. It's not, it's, it's not 
unfair for me to say now that he was a guy that still lived here. He had roots up up in hunting in the Huntington right. area. And our our friend and of course great sponsor of the show, Donnie Bagels, Donnie Rosner and Blue Line <laughs> Blue Line Deli had a, a a fantastic tribute on on his social media the other day mm-hmm. other day after the news came out. Yeah. Um, and it really was just as surprising, and it, it was surprising as it was yeah. sad because it kind of came out of nowhere. Absolutely, um, you know, even just last season, um, you know, Clark Gillies. How many games was Clark Gillies there at the Nassau Coliseum for the playoff run? And of course, right. of course, he had the he got the loudest cheer <laughs> between <laughs> him and um, the New York Jets offensive linemen that were at the game when they when they crushed beers on their head. And, of course, we had uh, Justin Bourne on a couple weeks later, and he, he talked about right. that that moment with us and how, how Clark knew he was going to do it. But if, So, of course, he finished the beer beforehand, so then he could look like he chugged and <laughs> smashed the beer and, and not make a mess. But, um, you know, just from everything you've, you've read and you've seen and everyone that's talked about him, Clark Gillies was – as great a hockey player as he was a person, probably even a better person, which is which is saying a lot considering how great of a hockey player he really was. Oh, no doubt. Legend on the ice and certainly seemed like a legend off the ice, again, by all accounts. And I, I met him a couple of times and just always a very pleasant, happy-go-lucky guy. Just just seemed like he's just ha- genuinely happy to meet people and, and spend time pe- with people, get to know them, always very friendly and I thought that was great about him. And it just he just seemed to exemplify that anytime you saw him, whether he was on the scoreboard cameras or if you happen to see him, you know, at any of the events that the Islanders had going on. So it just seemed like a genuinely great guy and obviously a, a big loss in the Islanders community. So uh, extremely, extremely sad news. And it was it was a nice touch by the Islanders. Uh, you know, good job on the organization for the moment of silence, the video tribute they yes. had on Saturday night against the against Toronto. Mm. Um, and I, I think you really encapsulated what, he meant to the organization when you saw guys like Matt Martin get so choked up and emotional and mm. Anders Lee get so choked up and emotional talking about him after after they found out because I would imagine they were told the news somewhere around the same time that everyone else was told the news because they had won the game and I think maybe two or three minutes after the final buzzer, the blast came out from the Islanders that, that Clark Gillies had passed away. So I would yeah. imagine the team was probably told in the locker room after that right. after that announcement was, was made, just as, as everyone else was finding uh, finding out around an Islanders country in the hockey world. So to see, see someone like Anders Lee, to see someone like Matt Martin, um, who are decades removed from Clark Gillies' tenure as a player mm-hmm. with the Islanders, see how much he resonated with them and to see how much he meant to them, uh, I think, right. speaks a lot. Even John Tavares, as much as people hate John Tavares, John Tavares had a really moving and, and well-said tribute on Saturday night after the game when he t- spoke to reporters, and he was obviously asked about it because John spent, not, you know, spent, uh, what was it, nearly a decade of his career yeah. on Long Island, and, and I think Clark Gillies was as much involved as much then as he is now. Um, and, 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 you know, you could tell that Tavares also understood the impact that Clark Gillies had on this organization, the fan base, and the, and the region. Yeah, no, you could definitely tell that, that Clark Gillies was, was just loving life. I mean, even, you know, post-career as a, yeah. as a player. I mean, again, just at all these events that you named, he's always there and always just with a huge smile on his face having a great time. Like, he definitely wasn't the type of guy. You know, you have some people in, in professional sports that maybe they're, they're ready to, you know, as soon as the event is over or as soon as they're done talking to somebody, they want to, you know, run to the other right. room and just kind of be done with it. But he just loved, you know, being in the atmosphere, being a part of it. And, you know, I think he just, he really soaked it in. And, and you know, the last time I saw him, I mean, he looked like the beacon of health. Like, it yeah. just kind of came out of nowhere. That's what's crazy to me. I could not believe it. When when the news came out, I said, you know, who even knew that he, this man was sick? You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're I, I, 
you know, we may never find out exactly what happened. And I think right. I forget. I was talking with someone the other day, and um, you know, everyone knew that Mike Bossy was was is going through, right. you know, his own his own challenges yeah. with fighting cancer. Clark Gillies, there was never inclin any inclination, at least publicly, that there was something going on, like you said. So yeah. that's, I think, what makes it the most surprising, aside from the fact of just how sad it, it was. And, um, you know, it's it's a tough way to start 2022 uh, for, for, for Islanders fans and for, yeah. for the Islanders community. And, uh, again, just to see the outpouring of support from the fan base, from the players in the locker room, from the organization – um, and really just the entire region, uh, you know, I think it speaks volumes when someone, you know, it, it expands beyond just hockey. Um, you know, I think For we sure. retweeted the, the tweet from Bill Burr, who I never knew was a hockey fan and, oh yeah, um, or an Islanders fan or even had that depth of knowledge. So mm -hmm. for, for that, I think speaks volumes too, of just the, the impact he made on the game and the, and the, and the community involved in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he will be uh, forever remembered because he was a legend on and off the ice. Number nine. Yeah. So I guess we'll we'll move on to what's going on on the ice. Right. And, of course, between those, in, those, in those days, the Islanders played three, four games, shockingly to say. Yeah, four that games this doesn't, past week. Doesn't happen too often. Yeah, and I, there's um, going to be a lot of that. There's four more games coming next week. But we got a lot to make up. It was a uh, – it was the Islanders – we said at the top of the show, the Islanders beat the teams that they were supposed to beat. Mm -hmm. The Islanders lost to the team that they needed to beat. And that was, that was of course, was the Toronto Maple Leaf game where they just didn't look uh, all there. You look at the power play and it went back to where it's been um, on yeah. the bad side the last couple, you know, last couple early months of the season where there just was no continuity to it. There wasn't a lot of great puck movement. And when they got into the zone, which they really struggled to do for a lot of it. And of course they yeah. get up the shorty mm -hmm. in the first power play opportunity they get of the night. Um, there's just no, there's just no high danger opportunities that are generated from even if they they're able to get over the blue line into the offensive zone. So, it, it's back to kind of square one with the Islanders off with the Islanders power play, I should say, at least in that regard, because yeah, that's a team that and we talked about it with Kinger, we've talked about it with Andrew Gross. You know, the Islanders don't beat good teams this Not season. Not this season. And that's a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, you can kind of look at schedule and kind of espouse, oh, you know, you get ones here and you can, you know, team, you can catch Boston or you're only the X amount of points behind Washington, this and that. Right. Right now, if you, you, you obviously you got to beat the teams you got to beat. Mm -hmm. Arizona, you've, you know, if you don't beat Arizona, you're in real deep, you know, doo-doo here. Yes. Um, if you don't beat a team like New Jersey, it's the same thing. Philadelphia, back-to-back, -back, those were, you know, that was kind of a chaotic win the second mm -hmm. night, a, a good win the first time around. But if you if you can't beat a team like Toronto, especially when you have more teams like that coming up on the calendar, right? That's a problem. No, it is. And and when we discussed this this week, you know, this past week coming up, we talked about they have to take at least six out of eight points, which they did. So they kind of did what they needed to do, right? But again, it's it seems like there's there's just two sides to their to their story here in the season where they can beat those those teams are supposed to but right. they're really not showing us much against the better teams. I mean, yes, they beat Boston previously. They had a win against Winnipeg earlier in the season. If you want to count right. them in there, I mean, that was their best win of the year. Uh, I, I, I agree, and, that, I, and agree. I think the impressive thing about that Winnipeg win and what kind of gave people hope. I think it gave us hope when we watched sure. that game was the fact that that was a healthy for the most part mm -hmm. Winnipeg Jets team. Right. I mean, yes, they caught them on the back end of a, of a back to back. Uh, they call Winnipeg on the back end of a back to back, but right. I mean that was still as complete and dominant an effort as mm -hmm. as you'd want to see out of a team, and that was what I think a lot of people thought. All right, they're going to turn the corner now, and yeah. that just never happened. Right. 
So there's still some positives to take out of it, even if, you know, last night kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth, losing again to the Maple Leafs. And, and so crazy, you have a mirror image of the Mitch Marner shorthanded yeah. goal. He did the same thing in the first game yeah. they played yeah. against the Leafs at UBS, which is pretty crazy. So it was almost the same sequence, which is very strange. Started the game with that, and they get a, a nice tying goal from Zach Parise with a minute to go, and you think, okay, they might be able to make a right. game of this. And then they give up that goal with literally under a second to go, and they just can't get it together after that. And, and yeah, look, I mean, how negatively are you going to look at a, at a week where you, where you take three out of four? Right. I mean, it's a successful week. It's, it's definitely progress from where they're at. They're at NHL 500 now. They're 14-14-6 and six in 34 games played, 34 points. And they've gained two points on Boston since. We, we've passed a week, and right. now, they've, now <laughs> instead of 18 points back, they're 16 points back. they got four games in hand. So, yeah, if they win those four games in hand, they close the gap to, it looks like, eight points behind, if I did my math correctly. But, I, would, I would try and do it. I mean, I, I'm terrible at math. So yeah, I'm they're either trying. six or eight. If they, It doesn't matter. They're still far if behind. If anyone on the chat can do math, let sure, us know. Sure, sure. <laughs> but, but the bottom line is they, they're making progress, but they need to make more progress. And, and unfortunately for them, they have to do it sooner than later. I mean, you look at the schedule now. And there's still some games, you know, where they look winnable, right? You got Philly again coming up this yep. week, and there's LA. definitely, yeah, there's definitely beatable teams. You would say in the in the remainder of, of January here, but I was looking ahead, and you look at March and April. I mean, even February, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tougher in February, but it, it, let's say they're still trying to get back in the mix. Let's say they still have a chance to get back in the mix, right? They they they're winning enough games where right. okay, March can be important for this team. That schedule in March is brutal. A lot of yeah. lot of playoff teams, a lot of teams that like the Washington Capitals, like the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're gonna have to beat because they can't they, they don't have the the luxury of giving up points to those teams anymore because they already threw them away in the beginning of the season. So they really have to rally themselves here and, and, and figure out a way to beat these better teams. Yeah, it's 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 a challenge and they they put themselves in a hole and um, you know, I know we were a bit optimistic couple shows ago but even now it's kind of it feels like things are kind of coming back down to earth a little bit you know they got a couple wins um you know now they're finally playing consecutive games and it's kind of they're falling back into the rhythm the negative rhythm that we had seen earlier in the year too so especially against the teams that they need to beat they need to find a way to win they're in a, they're in a tough spot so we'll see what happens we will but right now we have to break because greg wasinski of espn is going to join us I want to thank you all for tuning in to twitch.tv slash hockey night ny we'll be right back it's a new islander season and you've got a great spot to catch all the action rj daniels american barn grill in rockville center Inside the bar or the heated outdoor patio, you won't miss any of the excitement on their wall-to-wall big-screen TVs and in-game sound. Enjoy it all with delicious food, drinks, and plenty of specials in a lively atmosphere staffed by the friendliest folks around. RJ Daniels is in the heart of Rockville Center at 279A Sunrise Highway, just steps from the train station. So come on down. Watch the boys in blue and orange continue their quest for Lord Stanley with your fellow Islander diehards. And when the game's not on... Stop by for a great meal and a great time seven days a week. Hang for the late night bar scene or book a party or catering for any occasion. Call 516-536-6258 to make reservations and go to rjdaniels.com to check out the menu. RJ Daniels American Bar and Grill, your home for New York Islanders hockey.
Customer service is the backbone of any great business, and reliable telecommunication is essential to keeping your client base happy. Introducing Thai Technology, a low-cost, flexible internet phone service founded on the idea that every customer deserves exceptional service while providing simple setup and management and easy integration to clients across the country. Thai Technology will not only create a custom solution tailored to your specific needs, but will partner with you to provide a competitive edge to you and your clients. And if you need support, you won't be routed to an automated call center in another country. You'll get a live representative that had a personal hand in building your account. So Islander fans, if your business is looking for a change from companies like Spectrum, Verizon, or Optimum, Thai Technology is offering three free months of service for any of its affordable packages. Just call 516-856-7800. That's 516-856-7800. Or visit them on the web at thaitechnology.com. That's Thai, T-I-E, technology.com. Thai Technology, the right choice for your internet phone service. Did you have a nice break? Well, it's time to get back on the couch for more Islanders Therapy with Shawnee and C. Arnold on Hockey Night in New York. Well, welcome back to Hockey Night in New York. Christian Arnold and Sean Cuthbert with you as always every Sunday or Monday or depending on the <laughs> week and the schedule. Uh, we are here every week one way or another. Of course, it's everyone's favorite time of the show on the line brought to you by our friends over at Tide Technology. And with us on the line this evening is the Puck Daddy himself from ESPN.com, Greg Wyshynski. Greg, how's it going? Welcome back. Great to have you back on. It's going great. Thanks for having me. I, I uh, apologize if this is everyone's favorite part of the show. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that says about the rest of the show or about me, but uh, but here I am. Well, we always have great guests, so Greg, we include you. We include you on that list because you've been on. You've been generous with your time with us in the past, and we always love talking hockey with you. Um, certainly, you're getting chirped already in our in our chat. Someone mentioning the Islanders. You picked them to win the cup this year, so uh, things are off to a great start. In fairness, we did we did say. They, we did. Sean and I did both say we, they would be in the Cup final this year. So a pretty pretty rough year. But I did want to start on a little bit more of a serious note with the uh, news around the NHL. Obviously, Willie O'Ree was honored this past week, and in the same same week, unfortunately, two incidents of of real real serious significance involving two minor league players, one in the AHL with the San Jose Barracuda, and one in the ECHL involving um, PK Subban's brother. Uh, two racist incidences that have really kind of marred the last couple of days in, in the hockey world. I'm curious to kind of get your response and your reaction to what's kind of transpired over the last 48, 72 hours with, with, with that. Yeah, my reaction that it, is that it sucks, and it sucks having to write about this stuff, and yeah. it sucks that it continues to to, to manifest in other uh, levels of hockey. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of stuck with me because there's now been a string of these going back to last year. Uh, if you remember the incident in the Ukrainian Hockey yes. League with the uh, um, with the Jordan Smerich, um, uh, sorry Jalen Smerich rather, uh, who you know had a player pantomime eating a banana in front of him, and, and Jalen said something today that I think really resonated, which is that if we see these incidences that get caught on film. Um, and make no mistake, if they're not caught on film, it becomes a whole different dynamic because then it becomes sort of a he said, he said type situation. Um, then how many incidences aren't we seeing at different levels of hockey, you know, and, and especially in youth hockey and especially in the minor leagues and stuff like that. And, and, it, and it's just, you know, it's humbling to think about what players of color have to go through in this sport and it's really discouraging um, on the heels of, of that uh, 
Hockey Diversity Alliance uh, commercial they made in, in conjunction with with uh, Budweiser Canada. It's just discouraging to think how many athletes have avoided coming to play hockey, have avoided the sport right. uh, because they simply didn't think it was welcoming to them. And and every time an incident like this comes up, um, it uh, it really kind of underscores the amount of uh, obstacles that hockey has to becoming more of a a popular mainstream sport in in the U.S. Uh, and and also uh, a sport that gets the big greatest athletes in the country to you know lace on a pair of skates. If either, no one's going to do that if they don't think the sport that doesn't want them, want them there, and that's currently the perception. Yeah, and, and Greg, obviously the onus falls on the individuals who commit these acts, but. Would you say that the league, that the NHL, since obviously they're at the top here for, for the sport of hockey, are they doing enough to, to try to help create a more welcoming culture and, of course, curtail this sort of behavior in, in the hockey ranks? Well, you know, doing enough is <laughs> no. <laughs> doing, doing more than they've done, yes. And, and I think that, that deserves to be said, that although I don't think everything they do is satisfactory, mm-hmm. and in some cases I think some of the things they do – uh, are perfunctory and, and just trying to make the effort to make the effort. Um, there's no question that, you know, bringing on Kim Davis into their executive management group uh, and having her, uh, you know, be the leader on, on projects that do that deal with not only diversity issues, but also issues surrounding, you know, bullying and surrounding, you know, sexual assault and things like that. I mean, I think the league has become much more cognizant of all of these things. Um, I, I wish that there was a way for them to partner with the HDA. It's it's both a great thing and a, and a horrible thing to have a collection of players that are in the league not be affiliated with the league when it comes to their organization that's trying to broaden the scope of the game. It's a horrible thing in the sense that I think com- their powers combined, they can really make a lot of great things happen. It's a good thing in the sense that there is this organization that is going to be able to act as an independent editor on what the NHL tries to do for these diversity efforts, which I think will make the NHL better uh, at what they're trying to do with that kind of pressure. Um, but, you know, I, I think Akeem Aliou, the co-chair of the, and one of the founders of the HDA, had a really good point today when he said that this, this mantra that they always go back to, which is hockey is for everyone, um, it's kind of like, it's kind of premature or, or maybe naive because it clearly isn't for everybody right now. And, and I think what the thing should be is how to make it for everyone. And, and that should be the onus. So I, I think that the hockey is for everyone thing is, is a real um, misnomer in the sense that I don't think that it's for everyone right now. And I think every time we see another incident, it just underscores that. Certainly does. And, and especially the, the incidences over over this weekend obviously highlighted by by PK Subban who who put the tweet out and, and sort of the response from from the Jacksonville ECHL organization uh, it, it seemed like it, it took them a minute to almost just be like hey all right i guess we didn't say the right thing and, and circle back i i guess my question here is you, you know how long before we start to see players be more active and and organizations be more active in in being a broader uh, and bigger part of of the solution here, instead of kind of just waiting around for something to happen and then doing something about it. Oh, it'll never happen because <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a business, right? So, like it, you know, you you think back to the the George Floyd protests and things like that. I mean, it it it, it was very very. It, it took it took Evander Kane of all people to go on our airwaves on the ESPN and kind of like make a statement and and put it out there, and then 
you saw Logan Couture get his then teammates back. And then you saw other players kind of put their tweets out and stuff. And like, it, it, it it's never going to just be somebody, you know, especially a white player being very proactive on these things as much as we'd like it to be. I mean, they're just, it's just not part of their culture. And it's, 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 you know, they don't, a lot of times don't have the bravery to do it. So, um, I, you know, as much as we want these guys to lead, it, I think it's going to remain reactionary for the near future. Um, but then it falls on on the teams in the league to be proactive when there are incidences. And I mean, the the American Hockey League taking the action that they did um, in their incident, incident um, suspending a guy for for thirty games on Friday, um, I thought was really interesting because there was a sort of a, a, a second tier to that suspension in the sense that if the player goes through um, sensitivity training and, and racial education training with the NHL's uh, diversity council, then there's a way for him to get back on the ice within 21 games. And so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I do think it's an interesting thing in the sense of like, you know, treating a, a situation like this kind of like how they treat department of player safety stuff where it, it's obviously you have to punish somebody for what they do. And, uh, but at the same time, there's always sort of that underlying educational component of we're trying to teach these guys how not to hit and, and things like that. And, and I, I don't recall ever seeing it applied to a suspension like this, but I thought it was, it was an interesting, an interesting attempt at the very least to maybe, uh, trying to not only make a statement with the suspension, but also, um, you know, have somebody understand what, what they did was, was wrong. And by the way, this thing in the ECHL the battle line is already being drawn tonight, unfortunately, where people are coming to uh, um, uh, uh, Jacob Panetta's defense and he's saying, well, I was doing a strong man pose and wasn't trying to do this whole thing. The, my, my reaction to that is this, <laughs> like open up your ears and listen to what Jordan Subban is saying. Okay. And, and the whole notion of like, well, he's done this before and this is a different situation and blah, 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 has very, we've all seen this situation play out where somebody says something that is inherently offensive and inherently racist. Um, and then they just say, well, I've said that about everybody. Right. <laughs> right I mean, right. you, you got to know the situation. Yeah. You got, you got to be more cognizant of it. That's the whole point of this. The whole point of, of trying to understand the sensitivities of, of, of our times and understand how the feelings of other people is not to have to put out a video message to say that I understand the feelings of other people after you've offended them. Like that's not how it should work. So the idea that there should be some sort of past because of whatever his intention should be is just, I, I'm not buying what that guy's selling. I'm sorry. Talking with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the line, brought to you by our friends over at Thai Technology. And Greg, I want to shift gears here a little bit. You did mention Evander Kane in, in, in your answer there, and I am curious to get an update where things stand with him. The last we had heard, there was a lot of interest in, in Evander Kane after his tenure with the uh, San Jose Sharks came to a very abrupt end uh, after a lot of different incidents have happened this past season. But there seems to be a lot of interest in Kane still, but kind of up in the air considering the league is investigating certain things with what's happened and transpired with him over the last uh, couple months. What's the latest with Evander Kane? And, and do you foresee him getting, getting a second chance this season f with another organization? Oh, absolutely. He absolutely will. Um, you know, the, 
the investigation by the NHL and Duquesne, there's been a, there was a few times in the last week when I had heard like, okay, this thing's wrapping up and we should have some finality about where he's going to end up next. And then it didn't, it didn't happen. I'm sure we'll probably hear the same thing coming up this week too. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I had people basically try to tell me that it's a done deal. He's going to Edmonton. I, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see wherever he goes. I know the, the latest was that the Capitals were, were showing some interest in him as well. I think that was reported over the weekend. But, you know, uh, the Edmonton thing just seems like a a a, uh, a natural fit both for him and for the team in the sense that they are desperate to try to add talent to their lineup and desperate to try to change the vibe up there, uh, maybe even just change the conversation and do so without having to get up, give up a high draft pick or any prospects in order to acquire a player. And in Evander Kane's case, I mean, my goodness, if you're looking to continue your career – uh, and you know, show, show that you're worthy of investment from some other team. Spending a little time on the wing of either Connor McDavid or Leon Drysaddle is probably a good way to do it. Um, so you know, there's always going to be teams that think that that he won't be a problem. There's going to be teams right. that are, are are more than welcome, or more than willing to welcome them into their into their locker room and say, we think that our leadership and on the team and our leadership within our coaches and coaches and executives are going to be able to, you know play out the string at least this season with this guy and not have any problem. And they might be right. I mean, like, I don't think I necessarily want this guy on my team in the off season <laughs> based, on, <laughs> based on the available evidence, but for like a sprint to the playoffs and then in, inside the playoffs and, you know, outside of maybe being a disagreeable guy at times. I mean, it's, it's quite possible that he's going to be able to finish the season without incident. Um, but again, the, the, the overriding question is whether or not you want to, you know, have somebody like that be someone that has your logo on his chest uh, at all times and, and represent your franchise. And, and I don't think the answer to that should necessarily be yes. Yeah, no, no question about it, Greg. And just to, to pivot over to the Olympics a little bit, obviously there's some disappointment. ESPN won't be going over there to cover it. And, and unfortunately, if, if you're a fan of best on best, you're not getting your DNHL players over there. Is there still any intrigue in the, in the hockey tournament over there? I mean, are you still looking forward to watching how it plays out, even though the NHL players aren't going to be there? Well, I don't have a choice because I have to cover it still. <laughs> like, I'm still getting well, up at like four in the morning. or happily? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. You know, I, I actually, I'm much more excited about this one than I was the previous one. The previous one, just it just didn't seem to have any any interest for me, any pizzazz, any any reason to watch. And I think, you know, it's funny when when the U.S. announced that they were going to go so young, and I think it's like 15 guys from the NCAA are on the team. Mm. I had somebody who was on a U.S. Olympic roster previously tell me, "Hey." I think this is like a marketing ploy. And I'm like, I mean, is it though? Like, aren't they just looking for really good players? But the more I think about it, like I'm much more interested in, in, you know, waking up, making a pot of coffee and watching Maddie Veneers and, and uh, Brendan Brisson and, and Jake Sanderson, all these young guys that are on this team that I know are going to eventually be in the league playing this tournament. I mean, it's, it's me. It's the same reason I, I watch, World Juniors, like I don't care about that tournament. I care when we win. I don't care when we lose. <laughs> right. I mean, like Canada cares and they lose. I don't. I don't care. But, um, but like, but like with the Olympics, I'm I'm intrigued to see these young guys, and it also obviously taps into you know American uh, U.S. hockey lore of mm-hmm. a bunch of college kids coming together and trying to win a gold medal, and right. and so there's a lot of that too. And then the other thing too that I'm I'm really intrigued by, and I'm actually I'm going to be writing a story on this eventually, is the uh, is the team from China. I mean, the idea that you have this this team that's a collection of, of North American born players um, who are now holding Chinese passports and can play on the team. And then also Chinese nationals that are on the team from the mainland. Mm. Um, and then the idea that all of a sudden they've gone from 
being a team that there was so much concern about them just getting their asses kicked by by the NHL players right. that they weren't going to be allowed to be in the tournament. To now being in the tournament and now playing in a group where there aren't going to be any any NHL players. Yeah. I mean, the the idea that we might be able to see them be competitive in these games and, and even maybe even win one is such an amazing story. Um, so there's a lot of intrigue in that tournament. But I mean, honestly. Like as as much as I might tune in for the men's tournament, I mean it's it's all about the women's tournament, and it's always been like that for for, for me when the NHL isn't there, and and just the the U.S. trying to uh, defeat their arch rivals again and and win a second consecutive gold, and and just the intensity of those games. I mean that's people often ask me like what's the best rivalry in hockey, and people will be like oh Capitals Penguins Rangers Islanders. No, it's the it's the U.S. women against the Canadian women, and there's not even like a close second place to the intensity of that rivalry. Talking with Greg Wyshynski here on the line, brought to you by our friends over at Thai Technology. And, and Greg mentioned the Olympics. Obviously, this, this was such a big sticking point for the players uh, in the CBA. And, and obviously, the decision to pull out of the Olympics has created some bad blood within um, the players' union. And certainly, there have been guys that have not been shy about voicing their displeasure about it. Brad Marchand is, is certainly is the maybe the most um, prominent guy to vocally kind of say his piece online and in different platforms. What do you make of sort of the vocal displeasure and um, going forward, how does this impact both the league and in future tournaments? And perhaps is there any movement in the players association, considering a lot of the fumbling that's gone on with a lot of different things this year? Yeah. I mean, I think there's some discontent within the NHLPA, both the leadership and, and the direction of it. And, you know, I, I had heard from, from multiple sources uh, leading up to the decision that Donald fear, wasn't necessarily in favor of them going for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because of the, the COVID situation on the ground or, or, or whatever. Um, I think that was a lot of it from, from what I gather. There's probably other factors too, but the COVID situation there, I think being chief among them, especially the idea of guys not getting paid when they're over there, if they get sick and, and this whole thing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are players within the NHLPA that, that weren't very pleased with, with hearing their leadership had a different opinion about this whole thing than they did. Um, and then on top of that, you know, having negotiated a deal where there was no downside for the NHL for pulling out. I mean, that, that that's the thing about this that I keep coming back to is that the NHL, A, had an, an opt out because of the COVID, uh, because of COVID making uh, a mess of their schedule and materially changing the season. Um, and then if they did opt out, there was there was no give back. There was no like, oh, you don't let us go to the Olympics and then you give us something on escrow. Like there was nothing there was no mechanism in place where the NHL had to think twice about saying we're not going. Right. And I don't know yeah. what kind of negotiation that is where you're clearly conceding things to get that secured to be able to go to the next two Olympics. But then there's nothing there where if you don't go to one of them or both of them, I mean, who the hell knows what's going to happen in four years, <laughs> right. that there's, there's, there's nothing, nothing coming back from the league towards the players to make up for that. So it's a very, very bizarre situation and, and again I, I wrote about this a couple weeks ago in my column on espn.com like i think that there's a way they could have done it i think there's a way that they could have played these games mm. and allowed the players to go to the olympics and had had your cake and and ate it too and i know people are always like well who's going to pay to see these teams without these star players i mean we've seen other examples and other sports yeah. of of teams of, of leagues that continue to play when their best players aren't there because they're playing for a national team. I mean, we, we saw it recently in soccer because the, um, the, the, the tournament in Africa had to be rescheduled. We see it in professional rugby all the time um, in places like New Zealand. And so and my, my, biggest, my biggest argument was we see it in the NHL this season. Like, if you're, if you're a paying customer, 
this season in December and early January, you you were seeing American Hockey League teams, man. Like you weren't seeing yeah. a lot of these teams. I mean, you certainly weren't seeing NHL goaltending in some of those games. So I think I think you know, being as as this was a very anomalous season and, and as weird as it is, the idea that they could allow those players to play in that tournament for a few weeks and still make up the games they had to make up. As unfair as it would have been to certain teams, I think there was a way to do it, and I think it would have certainly um, upheld the the agreements they made with the Players Association. Greg, I think you make a great point there, too, to, to any even further that. I mean, the NBA basically went a month with, with and, uh, G League players and, and hardship players. I mean, you were seeing guys that were were on the court when I was like 10 coming back <laughs> and playing and playing yeah. starting five roles. So there's certainly a precedent for that. But I want to turn, Greg, now to the local hockey team, the New York Islanders that we focus. And obviously we mentioned at the top of the show, they were, they were one of your Stanley cup picks. And so naturally the question here is why do you hate the New York Islanders? And why did you curse them <laughs> by picking them to win the cup, Greg? I have to ask. I, you right here. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to jinx them. Um, yeah, look, man, like they still, they still have some games to make up. I mean, it's a very, very long shot that they're going to make the playoffs, but um, I mean, it's an extraordinarily long shot. They're going to make yeah. the playoffs, but you never know. I mean, I think this team, if nothing else, does have the ability when they're locked in and playing well to reel off a number of wins consecutively. So um, I don't know. I, I think maybe I thought that they were going to be the Islanders for those first few road games mm-hmm. that they had to play because UBS wasn't ready, and they weren't. I mean, that that's probably the, one of the biggest shocks of the year was when they started on the road. And having been such a consistently good road team and, and played well, that they just didn't have their identity yet. Um, you know, despite having so many people come back from last year's team, you know, I thought they'd just come out of the gate and defend to an Islanders level, and it, and it didn't happen early on. Um, and then they and then they came home, obviously, and then it just snowballed after that. So, like, um, I don't know what happened. I I, I misjudged them. I think it's probably. <laughs> But again, like also, you just have a number of players that seriously haven't hit the mark. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if that should necessarily be on the players or maybe on Lou, you know, going in a certain direction with some guys. Like, I don't know if you necessarily needed to bring back Kyle Palmieri for this team. I felt like that was a rental, but then they bring him back, and then obviously he doesn't perform at all. So um, there were some mistakes made in the offseason that I thought were not going to be mistakes. Um, and, uh, and it all kind of tallies up to the Islanders being in the pickle that they're in right now. Greg, obviously, we're we're starting to to close into that second. We're in the second half of the season, and we're already looking at the trade deadline and, and what's going to happen there. When you look at the Islanders, or, or even most of the league here, what are some of the moves that you anticipate being made, and how much kind of does all the COVID chaos play into how this trade deadline is going to look when it comes to March? Well, it's going to be. I think it's going to be fascinating. I mean, there's a few guys that we all assume are going to be traded, like like John Klingberg. I think we all assume he's going to be traded. I think we're all waiting to see if uh, if uh, Claude Giroux decides he wants to go play for a contender. Because I think there would be no shortage of teams looking to have him come aboard and join their top six. But I think there's also every bit of evidence that he he'd be content on playing out the string with the Flyers this season. Um, in the Islanders' case, who knows? I mean, I think the really interesting aspect of the trade deadline are the playoff races. I mean, the playoff races are always what kind of dictates how much action we get. And the Eastern Conference is set. Like, unless somebody makes a very miraculous run or somebody completely falls apart that's currently in a playoff seed, no one's leaving. I mean, the top three in the East are are 
you know, a good margin ahead of the other teams in back of them. Same thing in the, in the Atlantic. Um, I mean, let's just the Metro, same thing in the Atlantic. And then you look at, you know, the, the wildcard teams. I mean, the teams that are chasing Boston are significantly behind them. So how many teams do we really have? that are going to be buying from the group that are out of the playoffs right now. And, and in the Western conference, I mean, you're going to have some teams jockeying for position in the central, but if you take a, a look at it, you have Minnesota, Colorado, St. Louis, uh, and Nashville significantly ahead of Dallas and Winnipeg right now. And it may be a situation of one wild card spot being open for those teams in the central. And then in the Pacific, I mean, we're all just kind of waiting to see what the Oilers end up being uh, because, and then also waiting to see if the Kings and the Ducks fall out of those uh, two, three spots right now. Cause then, then you'd have a little bit of action with the Oilers and the, and the flames and, and the sharks maybe being uh, teams that are looking to make the playoffs. But I mean, the bottom line, and, and long story short, is that you may not have a lot of buyers, um, mm-hmm. you know, outside of, from teams that are looking to really bolster for playoff races. Mm-hmm. Um, but you will obviously have buyers from the teams that are that are ensconced in those playoff positions. So it's going to be interesting to see what that does to the market of the trade deadline. For sure, Greg. Well, once again, I want to thank you so much for giving us your time tonight. Great stuff mm-hmm. as always, and uh, hope you, hope to have you on again soon down the road. You got it. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Greg. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Always great to have him on the show. We appreciate all this time. He the gave show. us a lot of time today. He did. And uh, a lot of great stuff. I know it was a little a little more serious than people are used to this, yes. this show, especially considering yes. the top the topic. But um, there are have been a lot of things that have been going on in the league and in the Islanders country. So this has been a little bit more of a, a serious show than a, a lighthearted show. But Yeah, and you um, got to cover that stuff. Yeah, and it's important stuff to the game. But we are... We are uh, Certainly uh, enjoying everyone's conversation in the chat. And just a reminder, questions, Bruin is coming up a little bit later in the program. So if you want to get those questions in, uh, type them in the chat and we'll get to them uh, when we get to the questions. Bruin segment brought to you by our other friends at Oyster Bay Bruin Company. Well, what do you say we get to what's on tap? Yes. Brought to you by RJ Daniels. Yes, RJ Daniels. All right. Well, let me get the volume right. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's time for what's on tap. Brought to you by R.J. Daniels, American Bar and Grill. That's right, folks. It's time for What's on Tap, brought to you by R.J. Daniels. Christian, what's on tap this week for the New York Islanders? Well, the New York Islanders, it's a busy week for the Islanders. They don't play uh, quite as many games as they did last week, but almost close. It's almost just, just about the same number. Uh, they have the Philadelphia Flyers coming up on Tuesday. We'll still, the Islanders will see them for the third time in less than just about a week. Yeah. Um, they beat them twice last week, once on the road, once at home. One was mm-hmm. post, was a rescheduled game that had been postponed. So they'll play the uh, the Flyers at UBS Arena, another must win, if you will, for the Islanders who yeah. need the two points. The mm-hmm. Los Angeles Kings come to down to town on Thursday, the 27th. They uh, 7 o'clock start, which is a rare, <laughs> rare thing for the Islanders. Yeah, uh, at UBS year. Arena. This year, yeah. Yeah, so a 7 o'clock start. Yeah, I, I, wonder, I wonder why that game is 7 o'clock perhaps LA is playing the night before or the night after or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, okay. Which I would imagine may play a part into it. I don't know Los Angeles' schedule off the top of my hand. But, but that would make sense. Maybe doing the, uh, you know, the East Coast swing, doing back-to-back right. to the Rangers or the Devils or something. Sure. So the Los Angeles Kings are in town. Another game where the Islanders, you know, two points that the Islanders should be able to grab. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the first viewing of the Seattle Kraken on yes. Saturday, the 29th, Looking the return of Jordan Eberle. I'm sure he'll score a hat-trick in that game. He'll probably get a nice... Uh, uh, reception from the fan base who 
is very clearly missing Jordan Eberle after after the way he's played for the Seattle Kraken this yes. year and the way Kyle Palmieri has played mm-hmm. for the New York Islanders this mm-hmm. year. Uh, certainly you could tell the the absence of Jordan Eberle, which um, you would not have imagined that the, he would have been the fanfare that he would have had here on Long Island uh, this season mm-hmm. uh, after the way people reacted to his play last year. So, But Jordan Eberle, the Seattle Kraken, they come to town on the Saturday, the 29th, the first time we'll see them live. Two o'clock person. start. Two o'clock start afternoon. Mm-hmm. Nice yeah. little afternoon game. That's, That's right. It'll uh, be nice. And then on Sunday, uh, the Minnesota Wilds are in town to play at 7.30. So back to the 7.30 starts against the New York Islanders. Another game where... A rare uh, late Sunday night. A rare late Sunday yeah. night game. Islanders need to win it. It's, there's no question. These games are all... all, all and that's a tough team. Thousand that's thousand that's thousand. one yeah. of those teams that they need to figure out a way to beat. Which they have not been able to do this year. <laughs> not often. It was a rough game no. the last time they played Minnesota, too. I think that was that was the second game. Remember, then they played back-to-back. They played Winnipeg, and then they flew to Minnesota. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then it was a yeah. really ugly game against Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. You may be right about that, sir. You may be right about that, but but was like either way, ago, they're they're a team. It does feel like it, but it is another team yeah, towards the five two that game. Yeah, that was that's ugly. Yeah, well, uh, they got to figure out a way to beat them this time. So yeah, those are a couple tough games on the schedule. A couple games that the Islanders should be able to win. All all important games coming up, and obviously everyone will be watching the the scoreboard and, and watching the the standings for. What teams like Boston, Washington, the teams that they all they got a leapfrog in the process of these games uh, will be doing going forward. So tough schedule ahead, and 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 another four games. We get into that. We get into that stretch where the Islanders are now. They need to be consistent. They're playing a lot of games back to back. They're playing a lot of games every other night. Um, This is again, it's part of the test. Now the Islanders are going from a team that played once, maybe every ten days, to now they're playing once every other day, or almost yeah, every other every Mm -hmm. day. So this is this is a stretch where the Islanders need to win. They're they're struggled against teams that are are on the upper echelon of the league. We've seen that time and time again this season, and especially as of late. Islanders need to Islanders need to get some points here on the. I'm going to say, got to go six of eight again. Yeah, go six of eight. No, I don't disagree with you. You know. I mean, what, no matter who it comes from, you got to go six of eight. It would be a little more encouraging if they if they beat the Wild. And you know, look, every now and then you're going to drop a game to a team you're expected to beat or you're supposed to beat. It happens all the time. The Islanders lost to Detroit earlier in the season. I mean, that's just how it goes sometimes. But it would be a little encouraging if if they end up taking a game against the Wild because again, they're going to have to prove themselves against themselves against this te- these teams because there's going to be a lot of them coming up later on in the season. So that was what's on tap. Brought to you by R.J. Daniels, American Bar and Grill. That's right, folks. Now let's talk a little more Islander hockey. Austin Danger Zarnik getting back into the lineup. Got himself a goal the other night. What do you think? Yeah, Austin's are. I mean, that's why they went back to him on Saturday against the Maple yeah. Leafs. They, mm-hmm. You know, Barry Trotz liked seeing Zarnik up there. He liked what he brought to the line. I mean, you know, again... The, the measuring stick needs to be mentioned here because they played the Arizona Coyotes the night before, and then they played the Toronto Maple Leafs the following mm-hmm. game. So, mm-hmm. yes, it, it made sense because of the way that Zarnik played, and I know we're, we're big Zarnik supporters here big on time. Hockey Night in New York. <laughs> That's right. Um, but it certainly didn't seem to have the same impact that it did 
on Saturdays it did on Friday. Um, I think part, in part agree. in part that's because of the the, t- the opponent that was on the ice, and I think in part too the the Maple Leafs just did a much better job of, of shutting down any Islander offensive chances. They really, yeah, they did. Um, there wasn't a lot of wiggle room for the Islanders mm-hmm. on Saturday night, and that was the problem. Um, and that was kind of the knock on the Islanders when they play these teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs is that they don't really have an answer for them when they start to take away some of the opportunities that they're getting against those those lesser opponents, if you mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the aggressiveness and the openness on the ice and their ability to kind of create those plays just aren't there uh, in a game like Toronto. And then and then we talked about the power play at the top of the show. I mean, the power play just, just falls apart almost, it seems like, for, for whatever reason. Um, there is no pushback. And, and, and again, I know we've talked about it before in the past, but this is an Islanders team that doesn't seem comfortable mm-hmm. being put in, in uncomfortable situations anymore. Yeah, well, and I guess as far as special teams go, at least the penalty kill is still performing well. It still looks pretty good out there. I mean, they started that game against Toronto last night with two penalties. They killed them both off. So the PK is still doing what it needs to do, but it seems like, as you said, the power play is starting to kind of uh, meander back towards being a, a little less than stellar. <laughs> If you will, yeah. So they got to pick that back up. Hopefully that. Hopefully they will. We'll see. But you you talk about Zarna getting into the lineup, and we kind of got to talk about who he gets in the lineup for. Oliver Wallstrom comes out a uh, little little. Uh, <laughs> you see a lot of fans out there a little upset about that, and yeah. also. <laughs> And even more interesting to that is you look at the shootout win against the Flyers and Barry Trotz waits until the ninth round to even give Walsham a go at it. And, I mean, it's pretty plain that he has one of the best shots in the team, if not the best wrist shot. I mean, him and Nelson pretty much have the two best shots. And it waits till they wait till the ninth round. He gets in. Then, obviously, Zarnik comes into the lineup for him. What's what's up with Oliver Wallstrom? You know, it's a great question. Barry has is, is kind of continued to toe that line where um, – he says that he's noticing certain deficiencies in his game, that he's not seeing the consistency in his game. and um, That's understandable. I understand the point that, that Barry Trotz is trying to make. Mm-hmm. My confusion, again, comes into why is the standard so much different from, from other guys? Mm-hmm. And you look at the Josh Baileys and the Paul Marys before he got injured and, and um, you know some of these other, J.G. Pajot earlier in the season. Um, you look at some of these guys, and, and the question is, I think it's a really fair one now, is why is Wallstrom being held to a different standard? I understand he's young. I understand that you're still trying to develop him the right way. But at a certain point, even even guys, you know, you, you look at the play of Matthew Barzal. Matthew Barzal will get benched every once in a while because he'll mm-hmm. do something stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But uh, he's not getting pulled from games. He's not being no, taken off no, the ice. No. And I think the question kind of becomes... At this point in the year when you need points and you need offensive goal scoring and you need someone to create some offensive havoc, mm-hmm. especially against a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, why is why is that the time? Why is that make the most sense to hold that particular player and this person, Oliver Wallstrom, in this particular instance, Oliver Wallstrom? Why does it make so much for why does it make so much for Trotz to not play him at this point? I ju- I genuinely don't understand it because it 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 it. it just doesn't seem to make any logical sense. I get that you're trying to develop a player. I get that you want him to develop his game in the right way and in the style that is, you know, defensive minded that, that creates the offensive opportunities. But when you're not doing that consistently with mm-hmm. other players, it certainly 
raises questions. And I'm not saying Barry Truss is doing this to be malicious or he's he's picking on Oliver Walsham because he doesn't like him. We don't right. really know what the particular instance is, but well, but it just it just raises a lot of a lot of questions that don't seem to have any logical answers at the moment. Well, when you hear coaches talk about how they handle players, I mean, they talk about the fact that you're dealing with what thirty guys essentially, twenty three guys that have different personalities and they have different methods for motivating these guys. You know, you might treat one player one way because you know that'll give him a kick in the pants. Right. Whereas it doesn't work on another guy, you gotta try something else. And maybe Oliver Walsh and the age absolutely plays into it, as you mentioned, but it may, Oliver Walsh might just be one of those guys that that needs to, you know, ride the pine or see the press box a little bit to kinda, you know, get his focus in gear. And that and, and maybe it from the outside or just, you know, quite bluntly, it just looks unfair because, as you said, some guys are getting benched, some guys right. aren't. But maybe that's just the way Barry Trotz and the coaching staff feels that Oliver, Oliver Wanstrom has to be handled in order to, I guess, get whatever elements of the game right that Barry doesn't see right now. Right, but I guess my my question to that would be, you know, at what point do you go, this is or isn't working, right? Like, is it working if, if Wallstrom has to be bad? This is probably, what, the third time? The season that there's something in particular like this has happened. So is it, is it the question then becomes is it, is it actually working or is it more just you're trying to do the same thing hopefully with a different result? And well, it, the thing is, this stuff isn't an exact science, you know. And no, I'm, I and I'm certainly that. not saying that Barry Trotz is throwing darts at the wall. I'm sure no, he knows. Am I. He knows why he's doing what he's doing. But yeah, I mean, just like anything else, I mean, even you know, you go on a broader scale and you talk about head coaches losing the room, right? Where their just methods aren't working at all for anybody to get the team to perform the way they right. should, and that can happen on an indiv- individual basis as well. Where you try one method with a certain guy, whether it's benching or some other way of trying to get him to kind of see it, right? right. To focus and 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 do what he's supposed to do out there, and and then I guess you move on to the next thing. I, I mean. I don't know if we're at that point yet with with Wallstrom just because he's still so young. He's still, you know, he has his game coming along. Right. I mean, we look at the way just recently on the show talking about how Noah Dobson's developing. He looks more confident out there. And whatever's happened with Dobson is working. Right. Right. And he's not getting benched, but something out there is making him feel better about his game. He's playing well. We talked about Robin Sallow. He looks good. Right. Let's keep him in the top six. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just, I mean, that's what is really the genius behind being a top coach in, in professional sports. And Al Arbor talked about this too, you know, back in the day is, you know, he, he talked about how he had to manage different players in different ways. And this is the way he seems to feel he has to marry, marry, <laughs> manage, manage Oliver Wallstrom and, and also Kiefer Bellows. Cause he's been in and out of the lineup as well. And, and that's just the way it goes. I mean, look, I would love to see Oliver Wallstrom in the lineup all the time. We know this, team is already star for offense. Right. So we I think his shot needs to be in there, but I guess Barry thinks it's worth having him see the ice from a different perspective to make sure in the long run he performs better. I I certainly understand the point that you're making. Again, there just isn't a concrete explanation of why why what is but even if you're taking that using your 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 argument at face value right mm-hmm. like that's the way he does it with certain guys other guys why then has he not tried it with the Josh Bailey or 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 Kyle Palmer before the injury why is that not a technique he's trying then because at a certain point you go and, and I've asked him I said you know so what's the difference between x y and z yeah it is response that was the response about you know they kind of have more street cred basically right like Bailey's been there before and he's he's worked his way out of it. Palmieri's a veteran; he's worked his way out of it. He's been through it. At what point though? Do you, at what point though? 
especially during a season that's this important, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you, this is a season where the Islanders are expected to go to the cup final. You know, a lot of national outlets have them picked as a cup, as a cup winner. Mm-hmm. I know coaches and, and organizations don't operate, be, operate off the way reporters write or predict seasons. I understand that, mm-hmm. but everyone knows the expectations there. Sure. There's no question about yeah. it. The team's opening a new arena. There's, there's obviously the need for the team to be competitive, to keep that building full after the first year. My question here then is why then after a certain point is the game plan not changed with other players or why is that technique not tried with other players at a certain point, right? Like why is it that certain guys are given the leash that they're given and other guys aren't? Again, I'm not saying that Barry Trotz is doing the right thing, the wrong thing. I'm just curious because we don't have an answer to it. And it's just at a certain point you go, Okay, the team's the team's right. not playing well. The playoff chances are slim. Right? Why not just start rolling these guys out a little bit more? Give them a little bit more leash at this point, anyway. Yeah, I'm sure if he was willing to answer the question, he'd, he'd have a pretty decent answer, whether you agree with it or not. But yeah. again, I'm sure he has he has <laughs> you know uh, you know methods to the madness here, and, and and you know that's just the way sports is. You're not always going to agree with the coach with what the coach is doing. But look, he it seems like that's how he feels. That's how he has to get Oliver Wilson going right now. And hopefully he is, you know, turning the right knobs, pressing the right buttons to get him ultimately to being a consistent top six forward yeah. on this team. Yeah, I mean, Oliver Wallstrom is, is, I mean, I don't, again, I think when I say all this, I don't think Barry Trotz doesn't like Oliver Wallstrom, right? Like, I think that's <laughs> certainly, there are, there are people out there that go, oh, well, he just doesn't like, he hates Wallstrom, or you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't like the guy. I don't think that's the case either. Uh, it's not go, no. it's not that. It's, no. it's, he's trying to develop the player in, in his way, and the question here is, is that way working? And at what point do you change the way you try and develop someone? And what point does that leash get shorter for other guys who are doing, making the same mistakes, but they're not seeing the same, um, I was going to use the word retribution, but that's not the right Mm. word to use that but the, mm. sa- the same um the same recourse i guess well hopefully barry trotz knows the answer to that retribution question. sat word and wow good for you <laughs> way to go i speak good you speak words real good so what do you say we uh turn it over to the hero of the week yes let's do it sounds good to you sounds great to me folks want to thank you for tuning in to twitch.tv slash hockey night ny and your favorite podcast providers we're going to take a quick break when we come back it's time for the hero of the week You have a lot of choices when it comes to great beer, and Oyster Bay Brewing Company provides the best Long Island has to offer. Oyster Bay Brewing Company is dedicated to producing the highest quality beer while staying true to their nautical history on the Gold Coast of Long Island. They're the creators of the renowned Barn Rocker Session Ale, available at 12 locations in the Islanders' brand new home, UBS Arena. And because Oyster Bay has increased distribution across the country, you can grab your Barn Rocker from Carolina to California if you're following the team on the road. Here at home, the tap room on 36 Audrey Avenue is open seven days a week with indoor and outdoor seating so you can experience their smooth honey ale, savory IPA, or gluten-free hard seltzers right in historic Oyster Bay. You can also shop online at OysterBayBrewing.com for curbside pickup, local delivery, or have your order shipped anywhere in New York. And if you use coupon code HNINY at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Oyster Bay Brewing Company, Long Island's Gold Coast Brewery. Hey Islander fans, you already know Blue Line Deli and Bagels is the best place to get your game day meal. And now, you can get it at the game. Blue Line Deli and Bagels is proud to be featured in the brand new UBS Arena for all Islander games and live events as an official partner of the New York Islanders. 
Blue Line is also moving beyond Belmont, opening its doors at 217 Carlton Avenue in East Islip. So whether it's at the Islanders' new home, East Islip, or at the flagship deli at 719 West Jericho Turnpike in Huntington, all three locations are eager to greet you with their familiar, friendly service and the best food around. So stop on in for delicious Bagel Boss bagels, hearty breakfast favorites, tasty hockey-themed heroes, freshly made smoothies, and so much more. And remember, you can always check out the menu and order online at bluelinedeli.com. Blue Line Deli and Bagels. Our goal is to make you a hero. Ladies and gentlemen, when you hear this song, that means it's time for the Hero of the Week, brought to you by the Blue Line Deli and Bagels Half Price Hero, which this week is the White Whale with chicken cutlet, gravy, onion rings, bacon, fresh mozzarella on a toasted garlic hero. Get it for half price all week starting tomorrow. That is Monday through next week where we will announce a brand new half-off hero. Stop on in, mention Hockey Night New York, and get half off the White Whale. So... Christian Arnold. Hey, that's me. Who is your hero of the week? My hero of the week is a man. <laughs> okay, yes. He wears orange and blue. Yes. In yes. hockey And games. white also. In white also. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Do you remember who your hero is? Do you yeah, know? it's Brock Nelson. There you go, folks. Talk about him. Brock Nelson, he's had a pretty good week this week in the game against Philadelphia at UBS Arena. He had two points, a goal, and assist, and then a two-goal night against the Arizona Coyotes in 1852 of ice time. So a four-point week for Mr. Brock Nelson. Somebody's got to lead the charge. Somebody is. It was Matt Barzell, and now it looks like this week. Brock Nelson. Broccoli Rob Nelson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and my hero of the week. Yes. Having an outstanding outing Monday versus the Philadelphia Flyers and getting the shutout on Friday versus the Yotes, the white whale himself, Ilya Sorokin. 17 save shutout, not a lot of work, <laughs> but he still got the job done, but he, he was outstanding I, against I, the Flyers. I, I didn't see much of the game, but I did hear he, he pulled out a magazine at one point in the middle of the second. He may have. He may <laughs> have. Yes. Uh, Golfer's Digest. Is that even a magazine? <laughs> yes, that is a magazine. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> very good. Very good. So, yeah, Ilya Sorokin gets the shutout, but, but look, if you look at that game against Philadelphia on Monday, if he didn't play the way he did, that actually might have been a pretty poor outcome because... He made some amazing saves in the early going where really the, the Islanders ended up going up 2 nothing, but that game could have started 2 nothing for the Flyers, and Sorokin had a lot to do with that. So hat tip to Ilya, my hero of the week, shutout, great game against the Philadelphia Flyers. Nicely done, and of course that's brought to you by the actual hero of the week, the Blue Line Deli hero of the week, and this week it's the White Whale. The White Whale, that's right. Chicken cutlet, gravy, onion rings, bacon, fresh mozzarella on a toasted garlic hero mentioned Hockey Night in New York. Get it for 50% less than the original price. At the Huntington location. Correct. That is exclusive to the Huntington Blue Line location. Hopefully down the road that will spread to the East Islip location as well. Exactly. We'll wait for word from Donnie Bagels <laughs> on that one. All right, so the train rolls on. You want to hop right into questions brewing? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do questions brewing. It's, it's lightning round here on Hockey Night New York. It's time for Questions Brewing, brought to you by our friends at Oyster Bay Brewing Company and their delicious honey ale. Christian, start rattling off some questions. Let's go. All righty. Uh, MJ Beckman has a couple questions. Uh, no, MJ, MJ Beckman just had one question. <laughs> All right. And that was, why did I shave? 
<laughs> Why did you shave, Christian? Um, because Why, the, the Molly's beard Molly's was too much. There was just too much hair. Uh, it was very, it was a mess. I needed to look a little less. Uh, um, you know, I need to look a little more presentable. Oh, you think you do now? Uh, I look better than <laughs> I did with the, the untamed hair on my face. All right, so that's, sure, we'll go with that. Uh, that's for Mike four six five two co has two questions Bruin, so we'll address them at the same time first question is barry complains about wally being inconsistent Mm. on this team do you have to be under 25 years old to be held accountable (laughs) and then his second question was how could the team play so flat as if it was um because it was the win win one for clark game on saturday night I mean, that's a question you got to ask the players. I mean, I, I don't, I don't even think. I mean, that's that's a t- it's, uh, you know, that's a game where they were playing against an opponent that was, you know, that, that was in a much better shape than they were on Saturday in the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think we've talked about why the Maple Leafs were able to do such a mm-hmm. a good job of of holding them off and, and really preventing them from gaining any opportunities offensively, and um, even the chances they they did get, they were you know kind of far and few between. You look at the Zach Parisi goal, more of a fluke, fluky goal where Parisi able to out, kind of outskate the defender and get to the puck and and a bouncing puck no less, and and kind of ends up in the back of the net on, on a fluky sort of situation. But um, you know the Islanders just weren't weren't. It was it was a tough game for them going in, and as much as you want to go, oh maybe they'll have some extra jump or this, you know, you look mm-hmm. at that game and go, it's win one for Clark, and I, you know, I certainly understand all of that, but at the sure. same time, the realities of of the way the teams were in the standings and the situation they find themselves in the season, I think was was on display in that game, and that kind of explains why, um, you know, I think why it didn't seem at the very least like there was that extra jump for. For that game, right? As far as the the prerequisite for being twenty five years <laughs> or younger, I mean, look, it, there's definitely something to it, and I guess it ties in somewhat to to what was said earlier in that the younger players are still a little more moldable. You know, they're yeah, they still are kind of learning their way. You know, I mean, some guys don't get their first crack at the league until they're twenty three or whatever it is, but you know, you, these younger guys, you know, you can mold them a little bit more, and and they kind of just. Needed a little more. And the truth is, and maybe it's not the answer you're, you're looking to hear, but, I mean, benching a 30, 31-year-old veteran who's who's been in the league for, you know, maybe 10 years at that point, I mean, I guess you could make a devil's advocate argument for, for how much is a, you know, a, 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 you know, a benching going to really do for a player like that where they kind of already established who they are, you know, on the team in the league. Doesn't mean, you know, you don't take try to take those measures against – uh, a player like that if, if if you think it's deserved but I think it's just I mean that's just the way it goes with younger players I mean these are these are they still have to kind of learn being in the league playing playing professional hockey at the top at the highest level and they're going to be a little more responsive to that and maybe it does kind of set them on a better path but you, yeah. you get a guy who's 31 34 whatever is they're already who they are <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> like you can bench Josh Bailey and maybe he deserves it I know there's plenty of nice when fans think he does but is that going to make him a different player after a night or two in the press box? I'm not sure. Um, so I think that kind of is what goes into it as far as the, the age difference because, yeah, there's certainly something there is, is, is where you see the younger guys getting benched more than the veterans. It's just the way it goes. Question, Bruin and Jeremy. Uh, no, no, sorry, I'm sorry, T-Boyle. You have a, a couple questions here. Sorokin faced 17 shots and wasn't tested against Arizona. Should have played yesterday. Do you agree? I disagree. I don't think 
I don't think the play between Sorokin and Varlamov has been disparate enough to say, oh, we can't put Varley in right. against the Leafs. We need to go back to Sorokin. And especially... But were you su- I'm sorry to cut you up, but were you surprised that he played against Arizona and not Toronto? Yes. Okay. So now I thought that Varley was going to get Friday yes. against the Coyotes and they would play Sorokin against the Maple Leafs. I am curious as to why that was the decision that they made. Uh, definitely thought it would go the other way. But... After having seen Sorokin play against Arizona, did I think he should also get the start against Toronto? No. I, I mean, I figured Varley, fine. I mean, he's playing. If he's not playing as well as Sorokin, he's almost playing as well. He's playing well enough to win, well enough to put him in. And, and you know, Semi Varlamov wasn't the reason they lost to the Maple Leafs last right. night. Uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with Sean here on this. I think my biggest surprise was was that he played in, played against Arizona and not the Maple Leafs. I think even if you want to go and make the argument – which I think is fair at this point, that, that the disparity between Varlamov and, and Sorokin is there, that you put Sorokin in against the better teams and Varlamov is the guy you go to against maybe some of those teams that you know you can beat without necessarily mm-hmm. having the mm-hmm. best goaltending. Yep. That would be my biggest... That was my biggest surprise considering you played Arizona, and especially now having hindsight 2020, but 17 shots and 60 minutes of work. I mean, that was that was a... You know, a day at the beach for for either of those goaltenders. So it would have been it would have been easy an easy game. And then you put uh, Sorokin in there, who maybe has a little bit better luck against the Maple Leafs at this point. Who knows? But yeah, I think that was the biggest surprise. I don't think you play Sorokin back to back unless you really had to. Uh, for yeah, some un- reason. unless it wasn't Semi and Varlamov as your other option. Right. If it was if it was a third stringer called up because Varlamov was hurt or something right, like that, which we saw earlier in the year, then maybe you go yeah. back straight back to Sorokin for sure. But in, in this case, I don't think it was necessary. Question Bruin, which we kind of touched on, so but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. Where when is Trotz going to be held accountable for his? And these are T Boyle thirteen's words, not mine. <laughs> his ridiculous and stupid lineup decisions. Wallstrom was third on the team in goals and benched. Everyone knows how I feel about trots. I have made it very clear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did kind of cover it already. And uh, never, T-Boyle. He will be <laughs> New York Islanders coach forever, um, at least in, in, in my dreams. Uh, question Bruin, also from T-Boyle 13. What is Belos's value at this time for the trade deadline? Give me that one again. What is Kiefer Bellos? He's a hockey player on the island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his value uh, as we get close to the trade deadline. What is his trade value right now? I feel like we covered this earlier in the season. But I think it's changed because I think at, earlier in the season, Bellos was just the guy everyone wrote off, right? Yep. Um, and then COVID hit. He got back into the lineup. He really made an impact. He's a guy that's generating some offensive opportunities. Uh, it seemed like he got a little bit more comfortable in his own game. Um, you know, he's gotten a little you know, a bit better in his own end as well. Mm. He's a guy that I think realistically is third liner um, for the Islanders. And then, you know, maybe in a, in a pinch, you can see him on a, on a second line for, mm. for other teams. But, um, you know, I think his, his value from where we talked about him earlier in the season to where he is now, I think it's jumped a bit more than, than what it was. Uh, is he, is he bringing in a huge return from, from another team? Probably not. I think, what would it be fair to say that maybe you're looking at it if he's if he's not part of a bigger deal, right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine that's you're looking at draft picks coming coming back the other way. Yeah, I mean, I would say somewhere in that second, third round, yeah, you know, pick because I mean he was a first rounder himself, but he hasn't shown that level of play yet. Right. He's gotten better. He's he's certainly much more evolved in the offense, which is good. He's starting to show more confidence out there, and and as we said recently is that all of a sudden he may now be a factor on this team where we had previously maybe written him off. Right. But 
Is he going to get a lot back? No, because at least in my opinion, I don't think so because he hasn't proven enough yet. And, you know, obviously you weigh what a player's done versus whatever potential they have remaining. And I don't know how the rest of the league really views Kiefer Bellows at this point, but maybe you get a second or third round pick. Yeah, and again, I think if you're looking for a bigger bigger return there, uh, T-Boyle, it's probably looking like something that uh, is part of a bigger deal that, that – uh, Mm-hmm. Would involve you know, another guy or two. Thomas Panic question brewing, asking why won't the Isles shoot the darn puck? Uh, he, yeah, he wrote. Feels like half the team has less than three goals to go with shootout percentage above shooting uh, percentage. Shooting, shooting percentage above fifty percent. Yeah, this is something we talked about in previous shows too. This where is something we talked about in previous years. <laughs> <laughs> That's also true. There's there's players on this team that are guilty of, of looking past first in, in scenarios where it's really not necessary. Obviously, we know that there's some guys that are a little more guilty of that than others. Josh yeah. Bailey and Matt Barzell. <laughs> yeah. Matt Barzell, especially. Yeah, I, I think you can make an argument that Josh Bailey is the, the main culprit, but but Barzell has absolutely... I mean, no, no, I'm not saying, jo- I'm not saying jo- Josh Bailey doesn't do that. I'm saying Barzell does it a lot, too. Yes. And I feel like... Everyone just goes Josh Bailey, Josh Bailey, Josh Bailey, because everyone, you know, whatever. Right. And then, <laughs> right. and then, you know, Matthew Barzell does the same thing, and, and you're just like, oh, that guy needs to shoot the puck, and then everyone moves on with their lives. Right, right. No, but I've seen you see other players guilty of it too. I mean, I've seen Brock do it, I've seen Pajot do it, I've seen Bavillier do it. It happens, but for some reason, it's it seems a little more prevalent this season, and that you know, I'm sure plays into why their goal count is 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 basically the lowest. The, you know, compared to the rest of the league, you can't score if you don't shoot. I, I'm pretty sure a pretty popular hockey player said that once. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, they they have to shoot more. But it still has to be smart shots because you know you you got a lot of you got a lot of teams out there that are you know sacrificing the body, blocking shots. There's a lot of a lot of block shots from the defense for the yeah. Islanders. I've seen Chara, Mayfield. They've they've been getting some shots blocked back there. So. You know, but yes, overall, I, I agree with the concern and that I think they just got to simplify it a little bit and start firing the puck a little more. Mike4562 Co. wants to just clarify. He wasn't support, su- supposing old players would benefit by benching, but it was more uh, more to show the younger players that everyone is held accountable. So he just wanted to kind of clarify that. Okay, but fair enough. Um, but, you know, just a reminder, Sean is a bit of an apologist on the show. He's... <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't have anything else planned after that, so I, I, I really was hoping you. I like I like to just make excuses. Look gotcha. at these different things from multiple angles because mm. if you can't read the guy's mind, you don't literally know what Barry Trotz is thinking. So you just try to offer some perspective on what he might be thinking, and that's you know where I was going. That's mm-hmm. it. See, I'm apologizing for being apologetic. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Fitting the narrative. Yeah, exactly. it really it's a perpetual just cycle. Uh, we'll end here with in Jeremy 13, which I thought had a, he has a very fascinating question to end this this week. What deck? Wow. What question of brewing? What direction do you think Lou Lamorello takes this team if this if they don't if uh, if wow? The words are right there. Jeez. And Jeremy 13, question of brewing. What direction do you think Lou takes this team if this team is status quo? In fairness, he used this team twice in the span of five words. That's a little bit of a tongue twister. Right. So I think that is a great question, and it's a very intriguing (laughs) one. I, you know, I I don't know. I don't know. Because are you okay? (laughs) What did you do? What is wrong with you? 
He's literally dismantling the no, set. The Usually we wait until the show's <laughs> over to do that. The but he's dismantling the, the set to come off. as we speak. That's I, the microphone that's great. came off. It. So, see, your question was so intense, <laughs> Andremi thirteen, that you, you're literally taking the show down. So, no, I actually think that's a fascinating question. I mean, look, I guess we all hope that they really go on a run here, and we don't have to find out the answer to that question, but. Lou being a guy who who doesn't accept mediocrity, who doesn't accept losing, and, I mean, the guy is all about winning championships. I mean, he's going to weigh all the nonsense that happened at the beginning of the season, as we've talked about on the show, and he's going to weigh that against how the team performed. He's going to weigh that against the decisions he's made. Does he rethink what happened with Kyle Palmieri? Right. Who knows? Maybe Palmieri gets back on the ice and he starts scoring goals. Are you okay? I think so. <laughs> You know, so I mean, hey, you're the one that did studio setup today. Okay, microphone blame setup. shifting. So we still got a lot of games to find out, but you know, you look at what Cal Clutterbuck's contract is up after this year, I believe, and he's going to have some decisions to make. I wouldn't be surprised if this team looked a lot more different next year than we've had going from season to season previously with, with Lou at the helm. I think you see some more significant changes. An overhaul? Probably not. Right. But maybe you see him tinker a little bit more than we're used to because, I mean, you got to figure the last few years, I mean, he's brought back almost the same team every, every season. Obviously, uh, 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 a puck-moving defenseman gone here or there. But right. Aside from <laughs> that, well, yeah. it's been pretty much the same team. So I, I think I think he makes some more moves than we're used to if if they can't get out of this funk. Well, uh, by the time the season's, yeah, you know, you'll have Connor McDavid here and 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 uh, Leon Dreisaitl, I'm sure, and you know, yes, the Edmonton Oilers will come come to Long Island for Kiefer Bellows in a third round pick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know what we didn't get to ask Greg about, and and I know we're we're kind of running out of time here on the show, but I did want to ask him about the whole exchange between Jim Matheson and uh, oh, that was Leon Dreisaitl, correct? He, yes, he asked. Dry subtle, why he's being so pissy. Right. Because he didn't he didn't like the way Dry Saddle was answering his questions. Well, I I wanna get your take on this first because I mean look, you've been doing this for a while now, right? You've been you've been the man, you know, being able to ask questions to the coaches and the players and stuff like that. So you as somebody who's had a lot of experience with it, and wh- wh- what'd you take from it? Well, let me just, I want to ask, answer, I want to answer uh, Andremi's question, first of all, uh, and kind of just bounce off on what, what some of you said. I think the biggest, the most interesting thing is Lou still has to kind of balance the cap at this point um, in the offseason. There's still some tinkering to be done, and there's still going to be guys that need to be resigned. I, I think the emphasis is going to be what does Lou Lamorello, Lou Lamorello take away as the biggest problem this season that needs to be addressed if the if things don't turn around in the next couple games right like mm-hmm. you hit you hit you know march and i think really we're going to start to get a, an idea of that in, in march closer to the deadline what do the islanders do and how do the islanders approach that deadline uh depending on where they are in the standings and, and how does lou lamorello retool this team that they're essentially <coughs> going back to being a cup contender um, you know, next season because that's the expectation, right? The window for this team to win a Stanley Cup is 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 closing a little bit here because that's you, you look at the Islanders last year and, and again that was you know not to you know re rehash everything that happened, but everyone know at this point knows that was their year to win a cup, right? Like they get over the hump with T- Tampa Bay, they beat Montreal. There's no question about that. Um, how much with this group that they have is there? left to get into that get over that hump and 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 how much can you say after the season 
that they are one or two players away from being a cup finalist or a Stanley Cup winner. Um, and I think that's the big question that has to be evaluated once you hit the offseason. If things don't go the way they need to go, I understand that they have a young core. Mm-hmm. Young core. They do. Yes and no, right? Like the core, when you talk about the core, the core right now is, is Anders Lee, Brock Nelson, uh, Matthew Barzell, who does is younger. I, I, and I understand when, when certain people talk about the core, they're talking about the Wallstroms, the Barzells, um, Bellows. Pollock, Pellock. Pollock, Pellock. Dobson. But is that take? But is that enough to win a cup right there? Right, like you're talking about a lo- some younger guys that are still fun developing their games, some guys that are still in the doghouse, and then Pelican and Pulak, right? Well, look, that's a top parent. That's and Dobson, top defensive. Dobson is still Check. Dobson is still you know can go to one of two ways, right? We, we we've seen Nob no Nobson. Yes, we've seen Nobson go both. Um, we've seen Nobson go both really great, and then you've seen Nobson go. <laughs> in the opposite direction where you're like, this guy, maybe he needs to sit a game or two. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm not sure where his development is at the moment. I think it's been it's been trending towards positive. He's been playing better lately. <laughs> I don't think we've had as much to complain about in his game recently. I think we've seen it progress and get better. I don't think he's had too much downslope over the course of that progression. So we'll see if that continues to, to sure. trend upward. And sure. that's, a, that's a big question, sure. too. Um, but, the, like I said, I think the biggest question becomes – are the Islanders still a team that's one or two players away from being a, a cup cup finalist after the season? When, once you hit the off season, what do you do and who do you who do you bring in or what's you know what's the move? And I think that's the biggest question because there are so many little areas that the Islanders need to address: puck moving defensemen. They need another scorer. Um, I think those know. are the one or one or two things right there. If let's just say for the sake of argument, this team is brought back all of them somehow. All of them are brought back next year. And, you know, obviously you have to throw out the, the salary cap for a minute because, you know, we don't, I'm not looking at the numbers right now. Yeah, no, you, but, just, you just pretend, we just eliminate the salary cap. Right, but, but this team, as constructed right now, would need a puck-moving left defenseman right. and a scoring forward, a top six forward, preferably a top three, but a top six scoring forward. I mean, then I think you can go to battle in the playoffs with that team, and, and you can win a cup. Does it make them a favorite? Not necessarily. But they were a favorite going into the season with the roster that they had. So, you know, these things can change on a dime, you know, after you see, after you see the teams actually perform or whatnot. But, but yeah, I, I don't think they're that far. But, but, look, there's the balance because you have those guys like Lee, Nelson, and, and Pajot who are on the wrong side of 30 now. Right. And you just don't know when they're going to start sputtering out. Like, how much more production do you get out of those guys? Obviously, Alex Ovechkin, I mean, Matty Boy is going to love this because he's made us look like fools this year because, yeah, it wasn't at the top of the list because we thought, okay, 36 years old or however old he was. He wasn't at the top of the list either because it was an unrealistic expectation. Well, that had something to do with it, but but did either one of us think he was going to be a favorite for the Hart Trophy this year? We did not. I don't. I don't agree with that at all. I think until he retires, he's in that conversation every year that he's still playing. I don't agree with that at all. The reason why he wasn't in my in my top my top whatever is because because it was un, unrealistic expectation. Everyone knew that right. Ovechkin wasn't leaving Washington mm-hmm. as much as Maddie Maddie wanted to yeah. to kind of go down that road, and it's fine. I get that. Sure, but. To sit here and, and to say that we, we were wrong because we didn't think he was going to be playing at the elite level that he was, I, I disagree. I think 
I would like to give us both credit. I, you know, I don't want to speak to just myself, but I, for me, I expected him to still be playing at an elite level, regardless of where he was. I think there's a couple of years down the line where no. maybe if you have to sign him to a max deal, I didn't. Yeah, there's there's going to be an issue. I didn't think he was going to go down to a 20 goal scorer this year or anything right. like that. But you look at his age and you look at. I remember us making. Not to. I really want to revisit this that much, but. I remember us looking at it a little more longer term and saying, ah, you know, maybe you want somebody a little younger, somebody who can, you know, contribute more than just one year, whatever the case may be. But the bottom line is he's still ex- he's still performing higher than I thought he would this year. I mean, sure. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, it's, it'll be an interesting offseason. I think the, the question is, the answer to the question is, we're speculating here of what we think. Mm-hmm. We'll never know until basically Lou says, "Oh, this is who we brought in, right. or this is who we're not bringing in." Yeah. Uh, who this is who's going wrong? To answer your second question, to go now, come back to the Jim Matheson thing mm. um, with with Leon Dreisaitl, and uh, I really did wish we asked Greg because I, I was curious to get his his point of view and mm. his take because that was, certainly was an, was an entertaining exchange as much as it was um, kind of just like a like a, a you know a deep sigh exchange you're just like what what are you doing i think the thing that <laughs> the thing that bothered me and i i feel like I, I either i'm crazy or i'm just missing something here is that you know jim matheson asked, asked a question mm-hmm. you know it was whatever i don't think it was the toughest question in the world i mean i'm not particularly sure what he he was expecting to, to get out of dry side who was right who was somewhat agitated and listen you know, it's reporters' jobs to ask tough questions. I get that. Um, everyone's got to do it. You know, right? Um, especially in, impactful questions that that have meaning and can kind of help decipher the game and what's been going on. And I don't necessarily think that Jim Matheson's questions in the lead up to even the part of the exchange that was my real issue. Um, I didn't think that they were that they were great questions. And I'm right. And Trisidal gave him an answer. And look, I think the players. Players are humans, right? Like they're they're frustrated and they're annoyed, and they, right? You know, you're peppering them with questions every day, and and the spotlight, and, and dealing with all the you know all the things that go into being a professional athlete. There is going to be some times where they're not going to want to answer your questions. They're not going to be in a great mood, and you know that just comes with the territory and it's the give and the take. And the problem I had with it, not even the questions, not even the responses, was the, was the fact that Matheson, who didn't like the answers that he got went to the point where he said, why are you being so pissy? And I think that's where I think a lot of people in that were defending Matheson, um, you know, I saw mm-hmm. a few different writers and um, reporters and columnists defend him. And I, I, in, in fairness, I saw equally as many not defending him and kind of roll their eyes at why people were, mm-hmm. was it's not that Dreisaitl, you know, was, was not answering his questions and wasn't the fact that people didn't like the fact that, you know, Matheson was asking the questions that were, I guess tough. I don't know. I mean, apparently those are the toughest questions in the game. Um, but like, it was the fact that he went to the point where he said, why are you being so pissy? It, because he didn't like the answer. And that's exactly. where things that's, went off the rails. Yes. And I don't understand why there were people that didn't understand that from a journalist, from the journalistic realm. Um, you know, I didn't understand why there were people that were, acting like it was so crazy that people didn't like the fact that Jim Mathis and asked someone why are you being so pissy. They didn't even address that fact. It's just like it didn't happen. Like, oh, people are mad because they're fanboys and they don't want to, they don't like, you know, they're on the player side, this and that. And it's the fact that the guy was acting like a clown. You know, (laughs) the amazing thing, the amazing thing to me was that happened less than 24 hours after what I would 
in what I would describe as a very tense exchange between uh, Nick Ferdell and, and Ky- uh, Kyrie Irving the night before. Um, okay. Kyrie Irving, if anyone isn't familiar, is an NBA player. He's unvaccinated. He's playing part-time in the NBA. It's become a major, major issue because he can only play road games for the Nets. Mm-hmm. He had a pretty tense exchange with Ferdell the night before mm-hmm. about the vaccine issue because one of their other major stars was hurt and, you know, he was asking why, you know, would you ever reconsider your vaccination stance? And, you know, Kyrie was, was upset with kind of the, the back and forth and it Mm -hmm. got a little tense, but, but never did it get to a point where, where it got to with Matheson and, and, and where the reporter in that exchange was, was, was like, why are you being so pissy or why, you know, took an attitude or took a stance that was so unprofessional or unbelievable. And I think that's why it's, it just, it, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of um, bizarre that you're not that so many people were quick to defend the defend Matheson in this. He's the Hall, hockey Hall of Famer. Blah 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 blah. I get that. That's great. Mm. Congratulations. Right. Ask a better question, and if you don't like the answer, just shut up. Right. right? Like you don't uh, have to be another an, question. You don't have to be an ass. Yeah, and that's was... I think that's the that's I think the biggest takeaway for me. Anyway. And and the, and the truth is, he already know he already knew the answer to why he was quote unquote being so pissy anyway. Right. You know, they were <laughs> I almost cursed in the air. I guess that's not a problem. But they were losing a lot. Yeah. They're they're playing awful hockey right now. And, you know, when you're a player coming out of that experience where you where you're, you know, losing however many games in a row, whatever yeah. the case may be, and you got somebody I mean, what did he he asked him why or you know, what what is it that you guys can do better? Right. Something like that. And he said we could do everything better. Which, which I mean, is like, which is probably the right answer. Not to not for nothing. If you're losing what, six games in a row, whatever the hell it was. But holy moly. What? I've been monitoring the uh the Bills Kansas City game. It was twenty one twenty six, I think just it's twenty seven twenty six Buffalo with one minute and fifty four seconds left wow. on the clock. High drama. Yeah. Our buddy Mike Carver is probably somewhere having an aneurysm right now. Yeah, no, he's not. He's not sitting down. I'll, I'll tell you that he's not well. <laughs> he's not currently well. But uh, but yeah, no. I mean, I I watched the replay of that, and I mean, I don't I don't know where Jim Matheson was going with that. I mean, yeah. completely unnecessary. He already knew why he was giving him those sorts of answers anyway. I mean, it was kind of just you know relax, dude. You know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So. Two-point conversion. Yeah, damn, we're missing a great game. All right. <laughs> that is it for Questions yes. Brewing. Thank you, everybody, that asked uh, Question Brewing. Of course, the Questions Brewing is brought to you by our friends over at the Oyster Bay Brewery. And their delicious oh, honey yeah. ale. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I thought you were going to say Barn Rocker, so I just, uh, I just uh, you know. Yeah, well, on the, on the screen, we were showing. 29, 28. What is going on? Sorry. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. It's I, I, we can't watch the game. We we have to do the show. I'm sorry. Anyway, twenty nine twenty six. So that's what I'm seeing. Twenty nine twenty six. NFL dot com. Okay, uh, Mel Armenia twenty two wants to know when is the next live pod. That uh, we're gonna try to make something happen in February. We're still kind of working on that. If because you have the as you know, we we usually do weekends. Ideally, Saturday. Sometimes Sunday. It's getting hot in the sky. And the only the only um. The only games I think they have on the road on the weekends in February is is the West Coast trip. So those are late games. So we may try to work something out for one of those. We'll see. But uh, that's TBD, but it will happen. Appreciate you asking. But we will have a live show very, very soon. So, Christian, I believe it's time for us to wrap this show. Yes. We got to get moving. 
We got to go. You want to see the the last four seconds of this football game. <laughs> Apparently. And it takes eight hours to just tick 10 seconds away of a football game. So you might actually have a chance. So, folks, want to thank all of you yeah. for tuning in to twitch.tv slash hockey night. And why? For Hockey Night in New York, a huge thanks goes out to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN for joining us tonight. And, of course, a big thanks to our sponsors, RJ Daniels American Bar and Grill, located at 279A Sunrise Highway in Rockville Center. The best place to catch the aisles when you can't make it to the game. And don't just go for the aisles. They have live music, comedy nights, trivia, a late-night bar scene. They have it all. Huge thanks to Blue Line Deli and Bagels, located at 719 West Jericho Turnpike in Huntington, an official partner of the New York Islanders and the greatest deli around. Check out the menu at bluelinedeli.com for their great selections and hockey-themed heroes. Huge thanks to Thai Technology, a voiceover IP company providing phone services for businesses across the country. Check them out at TyTechnology.com for all your telecom needs or give them a call at 516-856-7800 and get three free months of service and of course a huge thanks to oyster bay brewing company located at 36 audrey avenue in oyster bay you can order their great beers and merchandise at oysterbaybrewing.com for curbside pickup local delivery or shipping anywhere in new york and get 15 percent off with coupon code h-n-i-n-y and folks as always please rate review and subscribe tell your friends spread the word follow christian on twitter at c underscore arnold zero one follow myself at shawnee hockey follow the show at hockey night ny on twitter facebook and instagram we'll be back next week but the islanders are playing i think 7 30 as we said yes. against the wild so we're still figuring out when the show is going to be but we will be back want to thank you guys for joining us once again tonight for christian arnold my name is sean cuthbert we've been hockey night new york we will see you next week bye just kidding bye